All right, assalamualaikum. Welcome to the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. Um, I'm super, super excited. This is your host, Sabria Mills. We have an amazing, amazing episode with an amazing guest here today. Um, we have Naji Mujahed in the building. And um, our episode today is Saving Our Sons. Do Black Lives Matter to the criminal justice system? And we're going to talk in particular about our Black boys, our Black sons, in ways that we can protect them. So first of all, I just wanted to welcome you to the show, Najee. Assalamualaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Alhamdulillah. Thank you for being here. Um, so of course, the way we start is we definitely start off with introductions, and um, I'll definitely um, give my spin. I'm not a big bio person, so I don't look up people's bios and stuff, but I like to take um, a more personalized approach to um, introducing you, but I, I will allow you to adequately introduce yourself. But just to give a little context, um, Najee's like a brother from another mother. Um, mashallah, my father was pretty active in the Muslim community with young men. Um, he had, he dealt, he did a lot of work in that capacity. So along his way, he's definitely adopted like extra sons. And I think Najee was, is just one of those people. And alhamdulillah, like he's a lawyer. So that's why he is here talking about this topic. He's a lawyer. Um, he's worked as a public defender. He's worked in various different types of criminal law. Um, and so he definitely has a lot of experience in regards to this topic. And so I'm really looking forward to going into depth in regards to some of these issues that's really been on the minds and hearts of a lot of women, especially women of mothers of sons. So again, thank you for being here. And could you adequately introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, sure. And uh, first of all, you know, shout out and, and to your father, Muhammad Abdul Wharf, mm-hmm. and you know, may Allah bless him and, and have mercy on him and, and his family mm-hmm. as well. So now, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Muhammadi wa ali Muhammad. My name is Najee Mujahid. I'm 39 years old. I grew up in Prince George's County, Maryland. Uh, well, I grew up in, in, I would say, PG County as well as DC. For the first 18 years of my life, I was in Prince George's County primarily, and then through my adulthood, young adulthood, and up until I moved to Philadelphia in 2016, I was in Washington, DC proper. Prince George's County is an interesting place. It's the most most populous and most affluent black county in the country. Really? Yeah, um, I think there may be a more affluent county, but it's not as populous as PG County is. PG County is, is the largest county in Maryland. And a, a lot of that wealth is uh, attributed to the large amount of government jobs that there are being right outside of D.C. Um, so, you know, of course, you've got the local government, but also the federal government and the infrastructure that supports the federal government uh, offers a lot of uh, a lot of well-paying jobs to people with, um, you know, with just high school education. You don't necessarily have to have a college degree you know, for a lot of things. And, you know, in fact, I know people personally who, you know, have worked their way up into very high positions without so much as a bachelor's. It, it's also a case study because, you know, often we, we may think that, um, well, well, first of all, in being the most affluent county doesn't necessarily mean that people are rich. It just means that black people as a whole, you know, are often um, on the margins of the economic spectrum. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that it's the most affluent like, it doesn't mean that it's a bunch of millionaires or anything. It just means that, that right. we, as a whole, in Prince George's County, you know, may just have a little bit more money than the rest of, than the rest of us, but not necessarily mm-hmm. a whole lot. But anyway, you know, the government is black. Like, all, all the police are black. The teachers, mm-hmm. for the most part, are black. The student population, the neighborhoods. So, you know, I know, you know, some people may go away for school or, or get out of town. And you know, maybe that's the reason they go to a HBCU. They want to be around more black right. people. But, uh, you know, where, where I grew up, you know, white people were probably, you know, a, a single digit percentage of most of the populations, most of the most of the jobs as well, you know, on up to uh, even a higher level position. So but despite that, you know, still having mm-hmm. uh, the highest arrest rate, you know, still having the same kinds of problems that you might associate with poverty and stuff. You know, so I have to say, you know, money isn't necessarily the answer. You know, more black, be it police or, or what, what have you, may not necessarily, you know, always be the answer, you know, for some of our problems. And, and, you know, I think it may seem that way in some places where, 
I don't know if Atlanta is like this, but, you know, some other places where you, you have, you know, a, a large concentration of black people, but then all of the positions of power are white people. Yeah, um, Atlanta's definitely like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so despite us having, you know, black people in more positions, you know, still have, you know, a lot of problems, you know, so so that's, you know, where I grew up, you know, single uh, mother family household, graduated high school, but I, I didn't go, you know, straight to college. You know, I didn't. You know, I went into went into the workforce, and then uh, after I don't even think it was two years. You know, I, you know, some reason I had the sense that you know things were probably the trajectory wasn't very good. So I did what a lot of people do when they think they don't have but so many options. I joined the military. Did oh, that. Okay. But that's where I I really found Islam. I mm-hmm. had been introduced you know to Islam through you know late teens. And some of the stuff I'd heard, some of the stuff I read, it left a good impression on me. So then mm-hmm. when I got to the army, you know, they ask you, you know, what your religion is for your dog tags. And I understood that to yeah. be, well, if something happens to you, who are we going to call to come, you know, get your body and to do your last rites or whatever. And, and I knew I didn't want a Christian to do it. So I put down Islam. And, um, you know, at that point I was advertising myself as a Muslim. So I figured I should learn about Islam. And while I was in basic training, Sundays gave us kind of a break. People mm-hmm. would go to Bible study and stuff. And there was a brother there by the name of Najee Shahid. And that's where I took my name from that mm-hmm. I studied, you know, with him for the time I was there. And, you know, took my Shahada before I left. I, I didn't, um, you know, find my way into college until I was in my mid 20s. It took me about nine years to get through undergrad. You know, I was doing part time and, and um, wow, you know, took really? a few semesters off. But one of the majors, I changed my majors a few times, but one of the majors I took up was journalism. Uh, during that time, you know, I did some internships and began to do some work in that field. This gave me the opportunity. They, it was a, it was kind of an activist journalism outfit, a grassroots journalism organization I was working with, um, People's Media Center. And their involvement with different justice-related things, you know, this was in the mid-2000s, so the anti-war movement was in gear. And a lot of other, you know, war brings all kinds of different do-gooders together because, you know, no matter what, you're different, whether it's about, you know, police, whether it's about economic justice, environmental justice, like everybody kind of comes together to say no to war. And so during that time, I was able to get introduced to all kinds of different people and movements and tree huggers and justice seekers. And, you know, for mm-hmm. me, it just opened my eyes you know, to a lot of things. But I found my niche in doing... Um, political prisoner work Mm, Um, and between the political prisoner work I was doing and then some of the experiences and run-ins that I had with the criminal justice system in my 20s that kind of led me along the path that I ended up on going to law school and becoming a public defender. Wow. Wow. Mashallah. Oh, that's an amazing um, (laughs) introduction and you actually kind of answered one of the beginning questions, um, which is a little bit of like your journey, but alhamdulillah, like, um, you know, you are a lawyer and, and like I said, you have a, a background of dealing with, and you have a passion, I should say, um, in dealing with political issues, issues that are related to, you know, our, uh, young black men, the incarceration epidemic, which we know right now. And I was looking at some statistics that are on the NAACP website that African-Americans currently make up about 32% of um, the U.S. population, but they make up about 56% of the incarceration population. Um, Does that statistic sound true to you? Does it ring true to kind of your experiences and what you've kind of dealt with navigating as a lawyer? Yes. Um, And keep in mind, that statistic, that's a federal statistic. So the Mm. statistics could be higher and and more um, disproportionate when you get down to the local level. You know, for example, in Washington, D.C., I'm not sure what it is now, but when I was there, yeah. the black people made up, it's less than 50% now. But mm-hmm. the, you know, gentrification and, and things of that nature, you know, it used to be Chocolate City, but it's, it's now less than 50%. But black people made up uh, about 95% of the D.C. jail. And so, you know, depending on where you are, it could be a lot higher. Like I would imagine that the local Atlanta jail population this is probably even, even more disproportionate so you know no matter where you look you know we're going to make up you know more you know, a disproportionate number of you know not only who's actually incarcerated but getting arrested at a higher rate uh mm-hmm. getting convicted at a higher rate and then finally getting incarcerated at a higher rate 
and also for more time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the, you know, main reasons why I even wanted to have this discussion with you, because it's just a point of conversation amongst a lot of women. And um, when I, when we speak, you know, as mothers, when we speak in our circles, a lot of mothers of sons often are very petrified, very afraid of, um, you know, what the future look like for their sons, things such as their sons being pulled over by the police. How do you guide them? Um, the potential of them even being shot and murdered by police. We know that black men are 2.5 times more likely to be killed by police than white men. So, you know, these are things that are really, really being talked about. What is some guidance that you can perhaps share with mothers in particular that are really, really in a heightened state of anxiety with their sons, especially as they like enter the teenage years and and getting the opportunity to drive and all those different things? I can certainly relate to that. My mother was a parole and probation officer, actually. Mm. And even though as as a boy, I, I would go to work with her, you know, sometimes I'd be in the office. I really didn't understand what a probation officer was until I had one. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, my mother, you know, didn't ever necessarily like impress upon me, like in, in direct terms, any fears that she would have for me, you know, ending up like, you know, some of you know her clients or whatever. But I know she had to have been, you know, very worried and having that, those same questions about, you know, how does she, you know, keep me out of the same trouble that she saw people, you know, who look like me going through every day. And, and it's tough. I mean, she made decent enough money, but she always like lived beyond her, her means so that we could live in a better neighborhood. So mm-hmm. you know, I remember, you know, I mean, sometimes we wouldn't have, you know, food in the refrigerator. Like, so growing up, you know, feeling poor, but like I said, it was it was because she made that economic sacrifice to try to have us in a better neighborhood. You know, so just, you know, that is an example of, you know, some of the things that people will try to do, you know, to, to try to protect their sons from it. You know, obviously, you know, I ended up in some situations of my own anyway. You know, and then also, you know, I, I think a, another thing, and I don't want to bleed into a, another topic, but you know, just the you know issue of, you know, mental health and, um, mm-hmm. you know, how, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us are often tracked into special education and, um, mm. you know, stigmatized and stuff like that. She, she also, um, you know, I, I, you know, got, got evaluated, you know, psychologically evaluated and placed in the special education, you know, along the way. But for me, you know, looking back, excuse me, you know, I, I think this was, you know, just her trying to do, you know, everything she could to try to give me a chance. So the first thing I would say, assuming that a lot of your target audience are you know, Muslim women, particularly dope Muslim right. women, we have to remember to rely on Allah and trust in Allah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, mm-hmm. we tie our camels, we make our prayers, and we try to do our due diligence as Muslims and meet the criteria as Muslims. So have our you know, spirituality in order, because in having our spirituality in order, it makes us better equipped to deal you know, with the physical. You know, uh, in the Quran, there's a constant refrain of the people of paradise saying that on them shall be no fear and nor shall they grieve. And when we look at fear and grief, you know, fear is anxiety about something that may happen in the future. And grief is anxiety about something that already happened. And so Mm. getting comfortable with Allah, you know, with our Islam, it helps us to deal with those those fears. And, you know, that's, you know, what all this is, is is gearing us up towards our physical existence and our our souls you know traversing this physical plane is all leading up to hopefully getting us to a place you know where we can be free of all fear and all grief but in the meantime you know we got to try to teach ourselves how to you know limit and and minimize you know the, the fear and grief that we may be subjected to here and so in in doing that you know some some people are going to have some some tough times you know a lot tells us that we're going to be tested yeah. we're going to deal with, with tribu- tribulations and difficulties and adversity so uh, no matter what you do some of us as black men are, are going to get railroaded down mm. you know the very road that our, our mothers our parents may be trying to protect us from but you know whatever situation the law puts us in we got to be able to to find the benefit and the blessing in that situation because sometimes there is a, a blessing in the difficulty you know there's, there's something for us to learn there's a way for us to grow 
you know, out of it. And so that that's key because like I said we can't yeah. protect ourselves from every pitfall, but we can protect ourselves from being overcome by those, mm. you know, by those pitfalls. By those challenges. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you yeah, know, that's so, so that's powerful. important. I mean, we, we yeah, got to start sure. there. That, I mean, that's, that's really powerful. So that, that's yeah. the spiritual part. And then there's the tying of the camel part. So, okay. So let's talk about that and the tying of the camel. What, what does that involve? So one thing you got to understand, you know, mm-hmm. this is, I've done Know Your Rights workshops. And first thing I'll tell people, you know, knowing your rights is one thing. Attempting to exercise your rights is, is one thing. But your, your rights are protected in court. And so that means mm-hmm. if uh, if I get pulled over, you know, I can say, you know, I know my rights. I don't consent to a search. But some officers, they're going to go search the car anyway. And if there's something to find, you know, they may you know find it anyway. Now, you know, once you get in the court, if you're able to prove or if your attorney is successfully able to argue, if the judge believes that there was a, a illegal search that took place, mm-hmm. that's where that particular right ends up getting protected. But just on the street level, telling the cop, I don't consent to a search, you know, that doesn't mean he's just going to disintegrate and fall away. Like, you know, he still might go beyond the means that he's supposed to use. So that can happen. But, you know, the general thing you need to know is, oh, I'm sorry. And before I forget this, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, the fear of, of getting shot or something like that. Yeah. These are, yeah. you know, obviously happens, you know, more often, you know, with us as the statistic pointed out. And we may hear more about it in the news because like a lot of other kinds of news, it's only newsworthy if it's particularly tragic. You know, mm-hmm. so the odds of your son getting shot by a cop are probably relatively low no matter what Compa- you know and, and, and the statistics act- said one out of a thousand does that sound about right to you one out of a thousand uh, black boys yeah maybe so i mean let, uh, we, we can take that and run with it so although they're probably not likely to get shot no matter what he is mm-hmm. you know more likely to get abused in some other way that allows him to survive you know with his life but these experiences, you know, just the mere the intimidation, the, the, the forcing someone out of the safety of their car, you know, onto the ground, you know, using harsh mm-hmm. language, harsh body language. I mean, just police don't carry guns in every society, you know. So the, right. the fact that a police has a gun and he's walking up to you in your car, walking up to you on the street, he's implying that he's prepared to shoot you. Or else he wouldn't have the gun in the first place. So, so every confrontation that occurs is a confrontation that is a life-threatening confrontation. Like he's, he may not be saying it with his words, but he's saying mm-hmm. that you know I, I'll I'll do something to you. And so, whether or not he actually pulls his gun during that stop, I mean, it can still be a, a subtly traumatic experience, you know, to have this happen before we even get to the body language and the words that are used. But then, you know, moving on to that, there, there was an experience that I had where I ultimately decided, you know what, I'm going to law school. Um, okay. I got pulled over and me, you know, like you know, a lot of other people may have, you know, I may have been driving around without a license or with a suspended license, mm-hmm. you know, dirty tags, just like whatever, yeah. like just, 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 just driving nothing. dirty. Yeah, right. riding dirty, like to the max. Right. So I, I've done that. Right. But on this particular uh-huh. situation, I was not riding dirty at all. I had my license. I had my registration. I had my insurance. I had everything I was supposed to have. So I thought this traffic stop was going to go you know, smoothly, but it didn't. Despite me having that, like I got first of all, I got pulled over for having an air freshener in the window. Now, I don't think they do that oh, everywhere, no. but in D.C. And in fact, that law has since changed. That law has okay. since changed. But at the time. They could pull you over for having your vision. It, the, the law was your vision being obstructed. And mm-hmm. so they considered the little tree hanging from your window as an obstruction of your vision. So this would be used as a pretext stop with frequency. Like I got pulled over, I think, twice for that before I learned my lesson okay. about having an air fresh. Learned my lesson about having an air fresh. So I, I, I got pulled over and, you know, long story short, you know, obviously he starts telling me to get out the car. I'm like, you know, for what? Mm-hmm. What I do? And he says, get out the car before I pull you through this effing window. Wow. And by that time, you know, I've been 
I don't know how many times I've been pulled over, but I, it's, you know, a lot, you know, and, and I've had, you know, other confrontations with police before that. So I, I knew that he would attempt to pull me out the window. So I just kind of acquiesced. And, and this was a, yeah. you know, a very emasculating moment for me because just the feeling of unfairness and injustice, like, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything right this time. Why am I being treated like this? And so and it wasn't just him. There were several other cops gathered around. So this is another thing that happens that can add mm-hmm. to the, the trauma of a police stop. Starts off with one car. Next thing you know, you're surrounded by police cars, surrounded by police officers, and it's just yeah. you there. You know, and then they just start going through all my stuff. But, you know, it was in that moment, I was like, no, like, I, I gotta, you know, obviously I can't protect myself. I can't fight. You know, I had gotten into physical confrontations with police before, which um, certainly didn't go well. You know, they jump you, they mace right. you, they beat you. So you definitely can't get into a physical confrontation with the police um, right. and, and expect to, uh, you know, to really win. And so, and so I, I gave in. But, you know, at the same time, for me, you know, that, that was the last straw. And as far as my willingness to continue to, to, to be you know, subjected to this kind of stuff. So on that particular occasion, I, I didn't get a beaten. But like I said, it was nonetheless, you know, very, a very painful experience. And then sometimes they do put mm-hmm. their hands on you like that's not going to be on the news with them, you know, them jacking you up, right. handling you rough, putting the cuffs on tight, putting you in the back of the paddy wagon and then driving crazy. Just all the little tactics that they do to just let you know that you're less than or or try to let you know that they think you're less than. And these are things that are much more likely to happen. You know, you get pulled over, they're probably going to try to, you know, treat you a certain kind of way. So, you know, one of the things, you know, that you should do in a traffic stop, you know, all, you know, try to have your stuff together. Like I said, I know that we don't always have our papers together, you know, when it comes to driving a vehicle, but try to have it together. Assuming you do, License, registration, proof of inspection, proof of insurance, whatever you're supposed to have in your particular jurisdiction, crack your window. Don't roll your, mm-hmm. lock your doors. Don't pull over. And, and I think and laws can differ from one place to the next, but in, I, I think in most places, it is legal for you to, once you're there pulling you over, to continue to drive until you're someplace where you feel safe, someplace that's well lit or what have you. Now, depending on how long you take to pull over, you know, is going to affect whatever mood they're in by the time they finally get to your car. So I, I would advise to try to do it as quickly as possible, but don't pull over into some place that's that's dark or where you don't feel safe or that's that's deserted if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Crack your window, lock your doors, because if the doors are unlocked, they'll open it. If the windows roll down too far, they might try to reach in there and unlock the door themselves or do whatever. So in a traffic stop, the only thing that they're required to have from you are your papers, your license, proof of who you are, that mm-hmm. you are in fact authorized to drive in a vehicle, that the vehicle is roadworthy, you know, having its insurance and stuff like that. That's the stuff that they have a right to have from you. They don't have a right to know where you're coming from, where you're going, and I would advise do not even get into those conversations. Okay. Hand the stuff out the window. They start trying to make small talk. You, you can you know say, you know, officer, you know, all due respect, you know, I'm not answering any questions. I'm going to exercise my right to remain silent. You know, try to be respectful, you know, but mm-hmm. just tell them that I'm, I'm not answering any questions. And they know that you don't have to answer those questions. You know, I got pulled over not too long ago. You know, one off, there was one officer on the driver's side. One came up on the passenger side. Uh, one on the passenger side wants mm-hmm. me to roll the window down. Like, for what? So I can see in the car. Well, you can look through the window. The window. Yeah, I don't advise tenant windows. Um, some people love okay. to have them, but, don't, don't? but I, I, I okay. never have them. Really? Part, Tell yeah, me why. Yeah. Well, it, depending on how dark they are, it's illegal in some okay. places. And so they can pull you over mm-hmm. on the spot if your tents are too dark. I think most places it's legal to have 25% or 35%. It's kind of a light tent, so that's okay. But it's it's just another, you know, the, the, the police get a lot of leeway with uh, their good faith efforts. So they can good faith say, well, it looked dark. The tents looked like they were too dark. So we pulled them over. But once once they pull you over, you're pulled over. And they can say, well, we thought it was too dark. But in the meantime, you know, they then they started going down. You know, they don't care about your tents anyway. If they pull you over for tents, they're on some other type of mission. Right. Just like with the air freshener. 
So I don't advise tinted windows, especially if you're, you know, got a young teenage son or early to life. I wouldn't go with the tinted windows. I just wouldn't. It, it just, you know, creates a, it, it opens a door. So in my situation, okay. you know, if the windows were tinted, he might have could have said, well, your windows are tinted. I can't see in the car. Roll it down. Then he's taking that liberty. So but if, if you do that, they should that should stop them in their tracks more often than not, I think. But if they want to insist on having you get out the car, you know, sometimes, you know, people might call 911 on the police and then they got to send out another officer. So that's a tactic that I've seen people do, just getting more officers involved, because the more officers you get involved in a situation like that, you know, maybe they're not all on the same page and, mm -hmm. and less likely to do wrong right off the bat like that. You know, but once they start digging into it you know if they get you out of the car they're like searching through stuff you know it, it can just go downhill so keeping quiet quiet as possible is is usually the best thing legally it's the safest thing to do okay you know sometimes a person you know might make more of a personal business decision like say they pull you over and you're around the corner from your house and you know all your stuff is legit and then they're asking you those same like where are you going where, where are you coming from well i'm coming from work i got my employee id right here i'm going home you can see on my driver's license i live two blocks from here and you know you might think that this will you know encourage them to hurry up and let you go maybe it will maybe it won't but the reason why one of the reasons why um you know people may think well i don't got nothing to hide am i doing anything wrong answering certain types of questions that seem to be benign for example well where are you coming from oh i just came down from you know mlk and malcolm x well little do you know somebody just got shot around there and they were driving a black car mm. somebody described a black car like you were driving you know so now you know you're a suspect in the shooting you know just because you were coming from the direction where something happened that you didn't have anything to do with you know so when police are asking questions you don't know why they're asking you those questions and, and like I said, you might think, you know, you didn't do anything. There's nothing to hide. But, you know, you, you never know. You never know what's going on with them. So it's, it's best just to stay, stay quiet. You know, if they do search your car without your permission, you always say, I don't consent to a search. You know, if they trying to search it anyway, I don't consent to a search. I don't consent to a search. And maybe they find something that, that you had that you probably shouldn't have had. You know, that's not the I mean, that's definitely the time to, to, to shut up. Like, don't start trying to say, well, it's not mine. It's this, it's that, because they're going to write down everything you say. And they may even write down something that isn't exactly true or isn't exactly accurate. But it makes them easier to write down something that's not accurate if you're running your mouth. So if you're running your mouth, um, yeah. yeah, so so well, you're always. Oh, I'm sorry. I know no, I'm, I'm starting sorry. to run. No, 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 you're not. You're fine. I just didn't want to lose my thought on the point that you made. I'm just asking, like, just when we think about, you know, our sons that are kind of like more younger and more, you know, maybe not as experienced and well-versed with the law and, and, and even their confidence in how to navigate this issue. Is it possible that even saying things like I don't consent to a search and those type of things, would that maybe irritate police even more or exacerbate a situation or escalate a situation? Is that possible yes as well. it's certainly it's certainly possible and, and it's uh, unfortunately <laughs> um you start getting uppity you know acting like you're yeah. smart and like you know some stuff right. like that, that that can certainly you know ir some of them it, some of them it'll back them off you know some of them mm -hmm. you know it, it can irritate it, it just depends and, and this is why this advice i know it doesn't always play out as smoothly as it might in a uh, organized workshop that someone might do like the police some police can be you know real nasty and, and that's why i said in the beginning like your rights aren't necessarily protected on on the street if they're protected anywhere you know they're protected in court but sometimes you know whereas you might think well if i just do what they're you know answer these questions or quote unquote cooperate you know maybe i'll be able to get out of this and sometimes maybe you will. Like I said, you know, use an example of the guy who's around the corner from his house. You know, maybe they do look at the employee ID, see where you're going and say, all right, man, well, just go ahead. You know, but it, it may not go down like that either. You know, so the advice I give, this is just, you know, what's the legally sound thing to do. But I know that sometimes on the, on the street level, you make a decision in the moment. I, I don't advise well, it. I because, guess like in this situation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just about to say. You don't advise um, it. You don't know what's going, what's going to happen. And, and on the back end, 
it can give your lawyer if it goes that far you know less to work with Mm -hmm. because you know you've already said something or or you did something that probably you know maybe you thought it was the smart thing to do in the moment but you know it turns out it wasn't that smart so like you you Mm -hmm. usually can't go wrong keeping your mouth shut but if if you're dealing with the officer who's just going to get mad at you for not answering a question that you don't have to answer then this is someone who's probably you know was going to treat you badly anyway Right, right. You know, so, so if you're dealing with a reasonable officer, and you say, you know, I'd like to exercise my right to remain silent. You know, I don't. You know, I'm not going to answer any further questions. Like I've given you my license, I've given you my registration, I've given you my insurance. I'm not answering any more questions. You know, if you're dealing with an officer who's going to get mad, he was mad before he came up to the car. Like he, he was already ready to pounce. You know, he was going to pounce at, at any given opportunity anyway. So, did you have something to say before I? Yeah, I just was curious. I mean, you said that you were pulled over quite recently. I'm just wondering, since you're pretty well versed in the law and obviously a lawyer, how do you handle it? Even like, I guess, currently when you're pulled over yourself as a lawyer, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't act like a lawyer and I don't tell them I'm a lawyer. Oh, um, okay. You know, so one, uh, I subtly, because I still want to be able to accurately gauge how they're treating people. You know, so I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't give them my license and registration in my bar card. Now, if it, and this hasn't happened, but if things were to escalate to a certain point, I might pull out the fact that I'm a lawyer, but I don't, I don't lead with that because I really kind of want to, like, I, I guess in a way I'm kind of playing gotcha. Like, you know, so go ahead. Like if, if you're going to okay. you know, do what you want to do, like <laughs> yeah. eventually, you know, you're going to, if you're going to like try to pull me out the car and go through my stuff, you're going to pull out my wallet. You know, you're going to see that. And then you really, you know, right. so you know, so eventually, if this escalates, you're going to find out I'm a lawyer. And by the time you find out I'm a lawyer, you've already done something already. where now I have the advantage. Yeah. You know, so right. so I, I I don't lead with that. You know, one of the reasons why, you know, it, it could be just because I'm, I'm also older and you, you tend to have less problems, you know, when you're older. Like, you know, my car doesn't smell like weed. You know, I, I don't think right. I look like I'm carrying. Like, if, if police pull you over for certain things. They're looking for drugs. They're looking for guns. You know, they're, they're looking mm-hmm. for. So if, if you have your papers together, normally, you know, they're going to, you know, I, I think you, you, you should be all right. But, you know, you may be in a situation like I described for myself, you know, years ago, where despite me having everything together, that they were going to do what they were going to do anyway. Mm. Did you did you see what happened like recently to offset? Did you happen to see that when he was stopped and frisk and like, I guess, mistaken for being somebody else offset, you know, from me goes, no, I don't I know if you know. Okay, so um, <laughs> I tried yeah, I mean, just know. before you get, <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, it was just on the news. But um, <laughs> but um, before you go into that, so basically, um, Offset was, which is Cardi B's husband, you know, just that context. But anyway, um, so Offset yeah, was no, like, I'm, stop. I'm, unfortunately, I'm familiar with some of the the, the uh, pop culture the references. Okay, <laughs> but he was stopped and frisked by police. He was even like arrested, like because they thought he was somebody else. Um, and then like, it, you know, people were recording on the, you know, video, like, wait a minute, that's offset. And he was just con- constantly asking, like, you know, he was constantly telling him, like, what do you want? Like, it's not me. You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. But they were kind of like kind of banging him up against the wall and like their old school tactics. So like, bef- I know you're about to say as far as a stop and frisk, what is that le- process supposed to legally look like? And when do they cross the line? Well, first of all, they need a reason, you know, to stop. If the police... Like are walking up to you and they say, like, hey, stop. You know, you can say, like, for what? You can ask them why. Now, now again, I mean, now, if, if it's if you're dealing with an irrational officer who's ready to pounce, I mean, he's he's going to pounce at anything. But if I'm walking down the street to my house, I do not have to stop and talk to the police. That's the one thing. Legally, they're not supposed to just be stopping you, you know, for no reason. Now, in, in some situations, if they have, you know, identified certain areas. The laws can be a little bit, they, they make them so it's, it's, it's a little bit more flexible than it should be. Mm-hmm. But they stop you. And what a legal frisk is supposed to look like, like assuming that they are, it's okay for them to frisk. The only reason they can frisk you, it's like for officer safety. You know, and so a frisk, a pat down is literally that. It's like a pat. So legally, yes. And so what this looks okay. like is them patting you down 
They can't be grabbing and manipulating your pocket to figure out what it is. Just because they feel a hard object, that could be a cell phone. They can't grab the hard, legally, they can't grab the hard object in your pocket to determine whether or not this is a cell phone or, or a gun. It's like plain field, just like something, if it's in plain sight, if you had to pick something up to look underneath it, it wasn't in plain sight. Similarly, plain field, if I have to manipulate your pocket around to figure out what it is, that's not plain field. You should know what, a, I mean, you know, you're a trained officer, you know what a gun feels like. You know what I mean? So that's what it's supposed to be. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, they, they take it much further. You know, they're grabbing, they're unzipping your stuff, you know, and, and they're just doing whatever they want. But what a, a, a stop and a frisk, a stop, you need a reason to stop. And then once you yeah. have reason to stop, if you're going to stop and engage someone or, or, or briefly detain someone, you know, for officer safety, you can pat the person down. But if you're if they're trying to pat you down, you just start like, I don't consent to a search. You know, am I free? To, the, the buzzwords are, you know, am I free to go? And and so this is an instance where it's important to be legally correct and asking, am I free to go? Because then they have to answer you like either yes or no. Also, one pro tip, you know, whenever they're asking you uh, something that's framed as a question, like, do you mind if I look in your bag? If they're saying, do I mind? You have a right to say no. I do mine. You know, otherwise, if they have a right to do it, like they're just going to do it. And, I mean, sometimes they'll do it anyway, even if they don't have a right to do it. But if they're asking you if you could please do something, or do you mind this, or do you mind that, that's kind of a tip to know you don't actually have to do whatever it is they're trying to get you to do. So that yeah, definitely provides some some clarity and context for us to understand like what they can and can't do. Now, I, I wanted to just get your perspective, you know, just as a lawyer, um, you know, when we think about the cases that were pretty prevalent in the news, as far as the cases of police br- brutality, those situations appear to escalate pretty quickly. The ones that were recorded and kind of really pretty heavily portrayed in the media. Now, what what would you say, just on a legal perspective, contributed to some of those cases? Like, as far as it just escalating to the point of where now weapons are immediately drawn and you're shooting, and is it just like a situation of like bad cop? Is there a situation where maybe, you know, there's some agitation that's going on? Like, what typically happens when it actually ex- escalates to that point? All right. Well, in, in my opinion, you know, the officer, you know, is the person who's been given this responsibility that they have you know so they're the ones who are supposed to be de-escalating situations you know so if a situation escalates it's probably more because the officer let it escalate by being you know harsh or intimidation you know being disrespectful you know towards a person like you know nobody made you become a cop you know you, you chose this profession and everything right. that's going to come along with it. Like you're going to deal with people yeah. who are loud, who are indignant, who are disrespectful, who are uncooperative. Whoever you stopped in that car, like they were going somewhere, you know, like they got stuff to right. do, you know, it might not mean anything to you, but it means something to them. You know, so when you interfere with what that person is doing, they're probably going to be, you know, have some type of feeling, whether it's it's irritation, agitation, fear, anxiety, people go through their emotions. And so you have to be able to accept that, you know, so I mean, you, you can't be taking it personal, you know, when someone tells you to F off, or talks bad about your mom, you know, like, that's going to happen like that. that that's going to, you know, so even when you're dealing with somebody who, who's a little bit, um, who, who isn't, giving, you know, if you're an officer who's trying to be respectful, right? Just because that respect isn't being reciprocated doesn't mean that you need to switch to plan B. So this has to do with, you know, not just training. Well, first of all, like real training, because, you know, I think a lot of us, if you've worked on a job, you know, maybe somebody, when you got your job, they sat you down into some type of video, about sexual harassment or something at work. And not to make light of that, but what I'm making light of is the fake ASS video that they had everyone watch just so they could check a box on their insurance that, okay, yeah, they received sexual harassment training because they watched this corny video from 1986. You know, Um, and and so likewise, the police officers may have received training in a manner in which they can say that they received training 
but that doesn't necessarily mean that they received real training. And if they did receive real training, it doesn't, it still doesn't mean that they actually received the training in the sense that they actually internalized that and decided, okay, I'm going to try that uh, or that I'm, I'm going to commit myself to doing that. So, yeah, so, so I, I think usually it's going to be a situation where the police, you know, let it get out of hand. But, you know, unfortunately, and this goes back to, you know, the point you made about sometimes, you know, you're dealing with young people, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. How can they be expected to be the person who's supposed to deescalate the situation? Right. You know, but we have to right. be able to train ourselves and remind ourselves to deal with the police really like they should be trying to deal with us like okay this person i mean this person might be unhinged you know they might got all kind of post-traumatic like who knows what you know so let me kind of be careful you know not to you know set this person off now if i'm going to set him off by telling him that you know i'm going to exercise my right to remain silent then he was already you know he was going to get set off anyway and it's probably better we just got it over with on the front end than on the back end later we we got to try to um you know keep our cool too and then, like I said, on, on the back end, like your rights, ultimately, you know, if, if it's going to go down that road where they're going to arrest you for something dumb or unjust, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, that's that's how that's just how it goes for some of us. Sometimes some of us are going to get arrested, even though we didn't do you know anything wrong. And, um, you know, we just got to you know try to roll with that particular punch. You know, like I said, don't say or do anything to make it worse. Mm-hmm. And you know, hopefully you can you know resolve it on the back end after a lot of inconvenience that you didn't deserve or that shouldn't have happened. But sometimes yeah. things happen to us that you know we expect we didn't plan for. Sometimes you get a flat tire. You know you weren't asking for that flat tire, but you're inconvenienced nonetheless. Like there's no one to turn to when you get your flat tire. Like who's going to give me money to get my tire fixed? Like you know you, you got to right. get it fixed yourself. And yeah, I mean, that's and that's extremely powerful advice. And unfortunately, we are coming to the close of this podcast. But I did want to ask, you know, like a, an important question. And, and we didn't even get to get into it. So I feel like we kind of need a part two of this. But, you know, we talked about, you know, some of the ways to stay safe with our children when they're on the streets and all that. But, you know, navigating the criminal justice system in itself. And I know that's a whole nother podcast. But I just like you said, if we're in that situation where we find that our sons or even us are in this legal situation, whether we're innocent, not did something, not like knowing what to do. Cause I think there's like a sense of panic. Like when do we ask for a lawyer? We all ask for a lawyer straight from the jump. We like, how are some ways that we can even navigate a system that's really, you know, has been designed to kind of railroad people of color. Maybe you could do it in a quick snippet and maybe we have to like preface this for like a part two to the podcast. But yeah, yeah. Sure. So first of all, it, it doesn't go down like on TV, you know, where they uh, immediately put okay. the cuffs on you and then they start reading your, your rights. You got a right to a, a, you know, I've heard people say they didn't even read me my rights. They don't got to mm-hmm. read you your rights on the street. They don't have to read you your rights at all unless they're going to interrogate you. You know, so the only time they have mm. to inform you of your right to remain silent and your right to a lawyer is if they intend to conduct in custody criminal. What would you know? When you think of interrogation, you might think of somebody getting waterboarded right. or something. You know, but as far as the legal terminology of an interrogation, you know, questioning you, you know, while you're in custody and you're not free to leave. Okay. You know, that that's when you have your your right to you can exercise a right to an attorney. So that's when. So if you're arrested. Well, first of all, like I said, you should be keeping your mouth shut anyway. Like, so the police officer mm-hmm. trying to make small talk during the stop, asking you a bunch of questions about who you are, where you're going, what are you doing? Well, who is this? Do you know this person? You're not answering any of those questions. Like I said, you can kind of short circuit that from the, in the beginning by saying, hey, I'm exercising my right to remain silent or, you know, like I've told you who I am. I'm not answering any more questions other than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, try to be respectful. Like, you know, I, I don't mean to insult you or I, I don't mean to give you a hard time officer but i'm not going to answer any questions other than what i've already given you which is you know my name my driver's license if you're in a car you know on the street i said the first question if they stop you on the street is you know am i free to go and if they say no that means you're being under some type of detention in which case if you're under detention you do have to identify yourself so the first question i ask is am i free to go if they say yes okay. or anything other than no, because they might try, well, wait a minute, mm-hmm. we just want to like, no, am I free to go? Yes or no? If they right. say no, right. you stop, you identify yourself, but that's it. You don't answer nothing. 
you know, likewise, you know, if they arrest you, you're in the car, you're not answering anything. Sometimes they'll try to make small talk with you. If you get, you know, they take you down to the station or wherever you go. And then some other person comes in, you know, that you hadn't seen before. I'm detective so-and-so. I'd like to ask you some questions. I want a lawyer. That, that's when mm-hmm. that's when you ask when, when detective okay. so-and-so shows up and wants to ask you some questions that's when you ask for your lawyer but whether okay. or not they give you one just always stick to the right to remain silent because you don't need a lawyer unless you're going to talk that's another thing you don't need a lawyer unless you plan on having a conversation if you don't want to have a conversation then don't have it you know just just keep your mouth mm-hmm. shut and, and that can be you know anxiety provoking because you don't know what's going to happen they're going to start making threats well if you just cooperate maybe i can help you if you don't tell me what i need to know i can't help you and they start trying to lean on you You might have seen instances like that on the television you know so they, they, they try to lean on you and get you to open your mouth and another thing is if, if you ask for a lawyer but then you start talking anyway they don't have to provide you a lawyer anymore because now you're talking freely you know keep your i mean well i mean if you yeah, I mean, it starts getting tricky if you invoke your right to lawyer then you start talking now you don't want to talk anymore then you start talking again you know just just keep your mouth shut and i say you don't even have to worry about a lawyer because because you're not talking anyway so that's important you know being respectful and, and keeping your mouth shut is usually the the short advice in dealing with it you know more particular situations may require more particular advice but that's that's the biggest thing and you know, to, to the moms, I mean, I, I don't know how much how helpful a lot of this is because you know this may not speak to you know all of the anxieties and all of the fears. Like you said, like once you're arrested and start going down that road, that is a whole different yeah. conversation on how to deal right. with it. But your lawyer right. on the back end has a lot more options, you know, a lot more possible defenses if you didn't start saying things about things because you never know how what you say. What well, they tell you, what you say can and will be used against you. Right. For example, in the traffic stop I was involved in that I talked about earlier in the show, I thought I was adding some levity to the situation by cracking a few jokes with the with the officers mm-hmm. or whatever. Those mm-hmm. jokes were turned into serious comments in the police report when they wrote it up. You know, really? so yeah, so and when they say anything you say can it will be used against you, they absolutely mean it. And sometimes, you know, they, they may be playing nice with you and cracking jokes along with you, but they're taking a note of it. You know, they're, they're not your friends. You know, they're, they're not there to help you out. You know, so anytime they act like they're trying to do you a favor, they're just trying to do themselves a favor to make their job easier. Nine times out of 10. I mean, I don't want to say that there aren't any cops out there who are trying to do the right thing, but nine times out of 10. They're, they're just trying to do what they need to do for their case, for their job or, or, or whatever it is. You know, the person for you to trust mm-hmm. is usually going to be your lawyer, you know, not the cop or the detective who's, um, you know, trying to make nice with you. Hmm. Wow. So that's really powerful. Yeah. There's so much that I think so many gems that you dropped um, just legally. And I think when you said, you know, and see, it's very helpful. I think it's very helpful for mothers that are trying to protect our sons and just as as well as for us because I mean we're stopped all the time and not always sure of how to navigate it when lines are crossed so um, I definitely appreciate you dropping all this um, free legal advice (laughs) to the people and um, working to help keep our people safe and empowered through you know knowing their rights and being educated so I just wanted to just acknowledge you and, and show that appreciation for you coming on the show so yeah so we're gonna end the podcast we've come to the end i do want to just stress that for the listeners for a conversation like this that's quite delicate but also pretty intricate kid now naji do you have a place where people can maybe ask you questions if Uh, possible or would Um, you have a reference spot for people if they need follow-up yeah, or, so yeah. I can give you my email. Um, I'm also accessible on social media platforms. Email address is attorney.mujahid. That's M-U-J-A-H-I-D. Attorney.mujahid at gmail.com. And then on um, on social media, it's at Naji underscore Mujahid underscore E-S-Q. Okay, so that's it. So we have that information and I'll definitely drop 
that information in the description uh, once this podcast is released. But again, I just want to thank um, the guest Nanji today. And I wanted to encourage all the listeners to make sure that you are subscribing to our podcast on all of our platforms. We're on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google. We're on about 10 different platform. So you subscribing means a lot and following, you'll be alerted when new podcast episodes come about. But we definitely also want to continue to encourage this conversation on our Facebook page, on our Instagram page. These are conversations and dialogues that we want to encourage amongst our community. We want to be able to be a support for our community and for our people ultimately. And like I said, this is a very delicate conversation for many of us as it's something that we have a lot of either trauma associated around it or a lot of fear in regards to this topic. So we want to be able to be a support system for that. Again, I want to thank you so much for all my listeners and thank you to Najee for listening to the Dope Muslim Woman podcast. Did you want to add something in before we end? Yeah, I did real quick. Yeah. One thing you can do if you're involved in a stop, uh, any kind of stop or any type of police confrontation that you didn't enjoy, you can file a complaint. And I definitely encourage you to file a complaint. Any police district should have uh, a complaint mechanism. Now, I will warn you, you may not feel like it, you, it may feel futile. You may get a letter in the mail six weeks later saying that they investigated your thing and they didn't find any wrongdoing. It doesn't matter because whatever officer you filed that complaint on, it still goes in their file. So even though they might wash yours away, it's still there. So when that same officer has gotten five, six, ten complaints, you know, about the same kind of stuff, eventually they're going to get reprimanded for that. Uh, it could be a direct reprimand. It could be that's a reason not to give someone a promotion. You know, even if he has unfounded complaints, you know, why this officer got so many complaints? So you may not get the gratification of knowing exactly what happens to that officer when that happens, but it does create a paper trail on them. So always do that. Okay. You know, it's important. Also, like cop watching. If This is another thing also very important. If you see someone getting stopped, you stop and you watch. You know, now some officers, like, they, they get upset. They, they want to tell you, like, back up. You can't record. Like, everybody got a cell phone now. Record. If you're in a police confrontation, put your phone on record. You go to go to Instagram. I mean, you know, if you're on the social media, you can go to live. You can just put it on your, your own phone to record a video. Uh, now, different jurisdictions have different laws about that. You might need to look into it where you are. But record the confrontation if you're in okay. it. Record it if you're not in it. You know, stop for your neighbor. Stop for a stranger if you see them. And and just, you don't have to say anything. You can just stand there and watch from a safe distance. It could make the difference between, you know, how they treat that person. Mm-hmm. So filing complaints, you know, cop watching and recording, you know, it's an advantage, you know, that we have that, you know, that we didn't have just 10 years ago. I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's important. Hmm. Wow, that's powerful. Um, Yeah, so you heard that advice right here. Those three very important pieces of advice that we want to definitely make sure that we follow. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, this is your host, Sabria Mills from the Dope Muslim Woman Podcast. Assalamu alaikum.